We've been going through our series uh, called Squad Goals, and uh, Max, if you want to just throw up that list of what we've been through so far. Um, so last week, we did, or the last time I taught, we did Simon the Zealot. Um, I think Thaddeus was last week. Yeah, I forgot to read that one out. Eric did Thaddeus for us. So we are doing the bottom of the list today. We're doing Judas. Um, so does anybody know about Judas? Raise your hand if you know about Judas. Okay, sweet. About half of us. You're going to learn tonight. All right, so <clears throat> eventually we're going to be getting to John 12, 1 through 8. So go ahead and turn there. Um, but I just want to tell you a little bit about Judas. So background on Judas. Um, he was chosen by Jesus to be uh, one of his 12 closest disciples, right? So he had a bunch of people following him, and he handpicked 12 of them, and Judas was one of them. He was probably a zealot, a lot like Simon. Do you guys remember Simon, the terrorist, the guy, that, like the Assassin's Creed dude? Yeah, okay. So he was a lot like that guy. He was in the same political party. Um, and uh, he was also, he was the only one that wasn't from, like, the Galilee region, um, which is kind of interesting because it made him, like, the outsider of the group in a way. Um, and a lot of them were, like, brothers or they worked together. They, they rubbed shoulders a little bit. Nobody really rubbed shoulders with uh, Judas before he came into the group. And uh, the other thing was that he was the group's treasurer. So he was the guy that held the money box, and he crunched the numbers, and he was doing the, you know, Bible Times spreadsheets. I don't know how he did it, but he was the treasurer. So... He was the guy that, hand, that handled the money, right? So, and one last thing about him is that he was great at making everyone think that he was on the same page with them, that he was like, Jesus is great. Um, I totally believe that this is God. Um, and everybody fell for it, right? Because one thing that we know about Judas is that he was the traitor, right? Everybody knows that? No spoiler, right? Okay, sweet. I would hate to spoil this for you guys. Um, so real quick, let's jump into John 12, 1 through 8 here and just read this together. So uh, leading up to this, this was right after Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. So this was a close friend of Jesus that had died, completely dead. He came and did a miracle and raised him back from the dead. And then we, we uh, come to his house here. So six days before Passover... Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Uh, Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, a pound of liquid. That's a lot of liquid when you think about it, a pound of it. And it's a pound of perfume, if you can't tell yet. Okay. So it's a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii or a, man's, a grown man's living wage um, is how much 300 denarii is. And given to the poor. He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. 
For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So he basically rebukes uh, Judas at that that point in time. He's like, I see what you're doing. Um, You won't get this, (laughs) this part of the pot. Um, Because it would have been putting a, a man's wage into the pot to give out to the poor but then Judas would have been taking it, right? Because he's a thief. He takes things. It's what he does. Um, so, <clears throat> for me, it was helpful to see a timeline um, of what this looks like. So, <clears throat> Judas's timeline here. Um, I'm going to move my stuff, so I'm actually somewhat following protocol here. All right, so Jesus raises Lazarus, right? That's what happens before we ever get to this dinner. So Jesus raises Lazarus. This will be great for you note-takers out there. All right, and then what happens next is that almost immediately after that, they have dinner, and Jesus' feet are anointed, okay? Okay, and now here's where it gets interesting. When Jesus calls out Judas, immediately after that, he goes to the Sadducees or the the Sanhedrin, and he makes a deal with them. He says, how much would would I get for uh, turning Jesus over to you? Immediately after this, it says, he left the party, and he went and talked to those guys. And then we have about six days So we'll call this six days. And then we head into um, what we call uh, Passover. So at Passover, in the upper room, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And I'll add right in here, um, Judas makes a deal. Forgot to add that. So Judas makes the deal here. He's got six days, and then Passover comes around. So Jesus anoints his disciples' feet. Or not anoints, washes. Anoints up here, washes down here. So he washes their feet. You anoint with oil, you wash with water. Okay, so Jesus washes his feet. Judas is here for this. He's one of the disciples that's getting his feet washed by Jesus the night that he's betrayed. Okay, so he sits there and takes it while Jesus shows them what a servant looks like. And he washes their feet, which if you don't know the significance of that culturally, people's feet be nasty back then. They didn't wear, they wore sandals everywhere and it was a desert, so... It's just gross. And so it was uh, the job of servants usually to, like literally slaves, to wash these people's feet when they came in the door so they don't track it in the house. Well, Jesus took it upon himself to wash his disciples' feet. And we're not going to get into that story tonight. um, But just think about the fact that Judas sat there while Jesus washed his feet, fully knowing what his plan was because he'd already made it here, right? So 
then Jesus tells Judas to leave, okay? So he essentially says, one of you is going to betray me. And they all say, surely not me, surely not me. Even Judas especially says, surely not me, because he wants to look good, right? He knows it's him. Jesus says, in one of the um, gospel accounts, he says, the one who I dip my bread in the wine and give to is the one who's going to betray me. And he literally does that. And then he says, go and do what you must. Somehow, probably Holy Spirit intervening, but also the fact that Judas was just a really good deceiver. He was a great liar, a manipulator, um, somebody who got stuff from people um, like it was his job. Um, so, yeah, he, <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but yeah. Um, so he, he took things from people. That's what he did. And so <clears throat> Jesus says, it's, it's you, essentially. But the disciples don't know what he's talking about. He says, go and do what you must. He thought he meant somehow that that meant giving to the poor or something. So um, Jesus tells Judas to leave. Right? Okay. So here's what happens next. Because Judas left, when Judas left, it says that's when the devil entered him. Okay? So what Jesus was about to do is it's a holy sacrament. We do it here. We only do two things like that, and it's baptism and communion. This was the first communion. So he didn't want the devil to be present in that, but the devil had just entered Judas, so he said, get out of here. You don't belong here, so get out of here. Um, so Jesus tells Judas to leave. And then we have the first communion, right? This is all on the same night that all this stuff happens. I always saw these as different stories. So first communion is right here. Then the disciples go from there to the Garden of Gethsemane which is where Jesus, um, he sweat blood because he was so um, worried about what he knew was coming, right? So they go to Gethsemane. Right. At Gethsemane, that's when Judas brings not just a couple of guys, it's hundreds of soldiers because they were expecting a fight. They expected the disciples and whoever else was with them at the time to not let Jesus go without a fight. And if you remember from back in Peter's story, Peter did fight. He cut a guy's ear off. So they kind of were in the right for thinking that they were going to need an army, right? <laughs> so they brought an army. Judas brings that army, and he betrays Jesus. So that's our last part of this. So this is all on the same week. Right? So we have all this is in a very short span of time, and then not long after that, Jesus is, is crucified. Um, 
And it also says, and I don't want to go too far into it, but it says that after, after Judas betrays Jesus, he feels so guilty that he goes and he kills himself. Um, so that is the last part that I just don't want to put on there because it's too sad to put on there. Um, what I want you guys to take away from this is that Judas missed out. Okay? So this is, this is the last part of Judas's life, and these are the choices that he made to end his time with Jesus. He had been spending time with Jesus for three years. The God of the universe come down in human form. He had been walking with him for three years. He could have asked Jesus anything. He could have learned anything from Jesus, but he chose not to. He took that privilege and he threw it away for a handful of change. Not anywhere near the nard that he was complaining about earlier. He threw it away for nothing. He could have enjoyed three years that he got to spend with Jesus. He saw Jesus doing miracles. He saw Jesus himself share the gospel. We try our best up here to share it with you guys of what it means. Jesus shared it in a way that nobody had ever shared it before or would afterwards. So he missed out on it. Not just because of what he did here, what he did all the way leading up to it. If you look back in Scripture, you can see his heart become bitter all the way back when they were doing ministry in Galilee, which was pretty much the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So his heart was not in the right place to see all these amazing things that Jesus had been doing. And that was his own choice because he was too focused on the money. He was too focused on having power and popularity. Remember, he was a zealot. So he would have thought that Jesus was coming to conquer this area. And the more that he got into it, the more he realized, oh, that's not this guy's agenda. He just wants to do this peacefully. (laughs) He wants to do this in a spiritual way. It's going to be a spiritual kingdom. Well, this isn't what I expected at all. I've wasted years of my life on this. Well, I might as well steal some money on my way out. That's his mindset this whole time. And so he's missing it. He's missing all of this amazing stuff that's happening all around him. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was sitting at the table when Jesus' feet were anointed. He was a dead guy. (laughs) And he's having dinner with them. And he missed it. He could have been one of the 12 disciples that go to create the church. God could have found another way for Jesus to head to the cross. And he could have enjoyed eternity with Jesus. But he chose not to. He chose to be selfish. He chose to choose money and power and popularity. And it's just sad to think how much he missed out on. In this book that we're going through, it says, uh, it's possible to be near Christ and associate with him closely but but superficially and yet become utterly hardened by sin. So let's, let's tie this in with Simon the Zealot from two weeks ago. So Simon's story is this. He's 
this political terrorist, right? Or at least he's part of that party. And so he sees Jesus as this conquering king, this guy who's going to take it by force physically. And then as he finds out that that's not Jesus' plan, his heart softens. And he ends up being one of these 12 disciples that Jesus built his church on. The other side, you've got Judas, the zealot. Same thought process. He sees Jesus for who he is a little bit more, a little bit more. He doesn't like what he sees. And so he hardens his heart, and this is what we get. He betrays Jesus. He does the worst sin that arguably anyone has ever done because he hardened his heart towards Jesus instead of accepting what he was doing and looking around him and seeing, this is a big deal, and I'm getting to be a part of it. Guys, how much are we missing out on? God is still living and active today. He tells his disciples when he goes up into heaven, I am sending a helper for you that will be better than if I was here physically. I feel like I've said this before, but God, Jesus said, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And that's better than me physically being here. I find it hard to believe that me having the Holy Spirit in my heart is better than walking with Jesus for three years as he's doing miracles, as he is preaching the gospel, as he's teaching people what truth is. It's really hard for me to accept that what the Holy Spirit's doing in my heart and through me is better than that. But because Jesus says so, it's true. And so we have to accept that as truth too. If you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and he wants to use you in great and powerful ways. And he can and he will if you let him. If you soften your heart and look around you to see what is going on in the world around you, what he is doing, how he is active, you can join in with him. Instead of hardening your heart, instead of distracting yourself with little things that are instant gratification, God wants to use you guys. He wants to do things through you that no one has ever seen before. So I'm just asking that you would this week ask God to soften your heart and open your eyes to what is going on around you. That you would have listening hearts and listening ears to what is going on and what he's doing so we can join in with him. Let's pray. God, this story of Judas can be heavy, and it's oftentimes it's kind of depressing, but you have a message for us in this, and that's that we don't have to have our hearts get hardened. We don't have to become apathetic and careless toward the gospel and toward ministry. God, you want to use us. You don't want to just give us fire insurance and have us come to heaven instead of going to hell. You want us to partner with you in the gospel. That's incredible. That's a gift that we need to take for what it is. And we thank you for that gift. Jesus, use us this week. We ask this in your name. Amen.